So 1 Kings 19. Now, this is part three. And instead of doing big recap, I'm going to stop, start for the first few verses, just point out where we have been and where we are, and then we'll continue on in our study this morning. 1 Kings 19, verse 1. We have Elijah's fame, F-A-M-E, his fame. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Remember Elijah? Built the, repaired the altar of the Lord, and he called for God to send the fire from heaven, and it came down and consumed the sacrifice on the altar. Then he slew 450 prophets of Baal. And so now his fame is, look what he has done, Jezebel, Ahab says. Remember, here Elijah is speaking to the northern kingdom in the house as the house of Israel. And we will look at a little bit more of that in a moment. If you want to jot down and remember 1 Kings chapters 11 and 12, it will tell you about the separation of the tribes into two kingdoms of Israel. Now Elijah, he comes to the northern kingdom of the house of Israel where Ahab is the king and Jezebel is his queen. So Elijah's fame was all that he had done, but all that Jezebel had seen and heard was the slaying of the prophets. Verse 2, we have Elijah's foe. It is Jezebel. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So her, uh, she became Elijah's foe. And of course, she sent message out that he would die. We've looked at all of this. You can watch it online or listen if you wish in your own time. Verse 3, we have Elijah's fear. We looked at fear. Irrational fear, unhealthy fear, and rational, natural fear as well. Verse 3, And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servants there. There at the end of the verse, going into the verse 4, we have Elijah's flight. Elijah's flight. Notice, Elijah arose, he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah. Now we can just glibly just wash over that and say, well, he just went to Judah. But if you understand what I'm saying from 1 Kings chapters 11 and 12 at the separation of the tribes of Israel into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom to which Elijah is prophesying to King Ahab and Jezebel in, he then leaves and runs right down to the southern kingdom where, of course, the kings are in Jerusalem and so on. The king, that is the line God is called. But he runs right into Judah. And why? For protection. Fear brought him away from the, the, the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, caused him to run the whole way down across the border where he would have immunity uh, from King Ahab and Jezebel. Remember, Jezebel speaks of that spirit of control. The Jezebel spirit is in uh, the nation of the house of Israel, the northern ten tribe kingdom of Israel. And it's in the, that Jezebel is controlling the nation and she's controlling the worship. She brings in all her gods for them to worship. And we see that in our own nation this very day. The controlling spirit of our government. Controlling spirit of the elitists. The controlling spirit even for all the things that are to lie ahead. It's a controlling spirit, also not in government and society, but that controlling spirit in God's blood-washed church, Christ's own. And so we see that even today, and that is the full Jezebel spirit. There's more about that, but we'll go on this morning. And then we have the flight. So Judah, verse 4, he goes to Judah it says, but he himself went the day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. We have his flight went from Judah. He left those who actually went with him and he went another day's journey himself. He goes himself. And remember, we looked at that, how solitary moments with God are good. They're beneficial. 
But in the state that Elijah's mind is in and heart is in at this point, it is not good for him to be alone. He needs to be with people of like mind at this. That's why in this day and in this age, brothers and sisters, we thank the Lord for technology. We can reach around the world. There are friends who come on every Sunday morning. They get up at four in the morning to follow us and join with us in worship from the United States of America. Every Sunday, without fail, they're all, they'll be on now. And we thank the Lord for it. But as the local expression of the body of Christ here at Guilford, we need to realize that not only are we to uh, seek the face of God and be in places of uh, solitary reflection and prayer and Bible reading with Him, but we should be together where people will prefer to sit and watch online because they've got lazy over lockdown. Lockdown has really sifted people in the church, really showed their hearts. There's been men, ministers, pastors, preachers, who are, we're moving on and glory to God and all of this stuff. And once lockdown comes, they, they're nowhere to be seen. They're, they're hiding, they're crawling up and rolling up into a ball. Many Christians are saying, you know what? It's easy for me to sit in my pajamas and drink my tea and eat my toast at 11 o'clock and we'll follow online when they are fit, well, and healthy and could be here. It's important to fellowship together. Elijah was in a state where he shouldn't have been on his own. He should not have been on his own because now he's wishing that he was dead. He then compares himself to the fathers of Israel. And brothers and sisters, when you get to that place, you should never... Be alone in the sense you need godly fellowship and company. And we looked at that last week. We looked at not only the fears, we looked at the flight, and we also looked at the fainting. Here is Elijah's fainting. I want to die. And can I say, if there's someone watching, now or later, or whatever, or whenever, you see, suicide is not the answer. Because there's always help. There's always help in God. There's always help in Christ. There's always help. It's never fine unless you commit that act. And comparing yourself one with another to a person just like yourself because their life seems to be all together and yours is going through a spell and a season and a period at this time where it's tough and it's hard and the blessing seems to be evading you because you're feeling like that. Sometimes these thoughts can come to us, wishing we were not here. We lose loved ones and sometimes we look and we wish we were with them. And if you're saved and they're saved, you will be. You will be. You know, here we should not compare each other to bring each other down, but rather to encourage one another and to try to build one another up. You know, the Scriptures tell us to mark the perfect man and behold the upright. It really means mark, mark the man, mark the woman of God who are, who are in prayer, who you know God has been dealing with and speaking with, who have come through things and are still standing by the grace of God, who have come through trials and troubles and tribulations and heartaches, and they're still here. They're not here because they're strong. They're not here because they're so great. They're here because the grace of God is strong. And because God is great. And they have thrown themselves or they have fallen themselves completely on the rock, Christ Jesus. And so it's those people who are serving, who are faint even yet pursuing. Mark them. There's none perfect. But the idea is, is they're going on with God despite their problems, and in spite of themselves and others around them. Brothers and sisters, mark that man, mark that woman to say that if God gets them through this, if God has brought them through this and they're still going on, then there's hope for me. And God is with me and he will bring me through. Brothers and sisters, if you lay your all in Christ and put your trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not onto your own understanding, you know what will happen? You're not only just going to go through, you're going to go over. 
you're going to be victorious in the name of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you see, I believe the word when it tells me that in all my ways I have to acknowledge him and he will direct my paths. I'm praying this morning. There are certain things we need guidance on. There are certain things I need guidance for to go one way or another, to do one thing or not. And, 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 I'm, and I'm seeking the Lord. I'm praying. And I was talking to him the whole way over in the car again this morning. Lord, I need your guidance. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. In everything, acknowledge him. Listen, did you acknowledge him this morning around your breakfast? Before you ate it? Did you acknowledge him this morning when you got up? Good morning, Lord. Did you acknowledge him? Did you acknowledge him before you left? Will you acknowledge him around your Sunday dinner? Whenever you're in conversations, whether it's with, with your spouse or with other people in church, will we have all sorts of different conversations and Christ is never spoken of and he's never acknowledged. Because, you see, it's there. He will direct your paths. Notice here this morning, Elijah's fainting. He was fleeing from his foe, and his fainting caused him to wish that he was no longer alive. Now we want to look at Elijah's food. Food. Will you turn with me, please, or look down the chapter to verse 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. Sometimes it's okay to rest. Sometimes we feel we're letting people or things, or things down in our lives or even the Lord down if we don't rest. This angel was sent and said, eat, drink, and rest. The Lord Jesus even said to his disciples, come you apart and rest a while after they had ministered for so long. And listen, I put my two hands up. I'm guilty. By the way, for those sitting around the corner here, these are going this week and we're having speakers up in the ceiling. You'll be able to see next week in the Lord's will. Both sides. I'm guilty. My elders are telling me all the time, Pastor, you need to take a rest. You haven't stopped. You need to take a rest. And, and for me, I'm saying, yeah, no, I know, I know, I know, I know, I will, I will, I will, I will. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. And sometimes I'm getting up and I don't know where I'm blew up or stuffed. Bored, punched or drilled. I don't know what I am sometimes. And then God draws near and I eat the food. And I go on that again. Many Christians in their life are spiritually dying and weak because they don't eat the food. They're not eating the bread of life. And those who are eating the bread of life, you'll find they're strong in their faith. They're going through this. They're trusting. Elijah's food, it says in verse 5, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, Behold, an angel touched him. Here's something I want you to write down if you're taking notes. God knew Elijah's location. Remember, he went from the northern kingdom across the border to Judah, the southern kingdom. Even left his men there, those who followed him, those maybe a couple of friends or servants. And what, he, what did he do? He went further and further away for another day. Nobody even in Judah, not even the closest will know where I am. Not even those who are close to me know how I feel. Well, God knew where he was, and God secondly knew his condition. 
God knew his location and God knew his condition. And I want to tell you something this morning, Christian. God knows your location. You're in the tent here. You're in this marquee. Yes, he does. He knows your location at home. He knows your location when you're at work. He knows your location when you're out. He knows your location, whether it's for the good or for the bad, whether you're doing the good or the evil. But God knows the location and he knows your condition. He is aware of every thought of the heart. He is aware of everything that comes against you. He is aware of your feelings and your emotions. God knows the condition of you before him, whether you're weak and need strength or whether you're going wayward and you need corrected. He knew Elijah's location and he knew Elijah's condition. Here's something I want you to see. George Swinnock, an old Puritan, listen to what he said. God is neither shut up in nor shut out of any place. God is neither shut up in nor shut out of any place. Isn't that wonderful to think that? That God isn't in a box. God isn't in just a denomination. God isn't in a certain church affiliation. God is the great eternal spirit. And God is neither shut in. In other words, he's not in one particular place, one particular church, even this one. And that only. And neither is God shut out of anywhere. God can break into every home, every situation, and every life. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think of him, as the scripture tells us. Listen to what another Puritan, John Arrow Smith, said. He writes this, A heathen philosopher once asked, Where is God? The Christian answered, Let me first ask you where he is not. And you might be saying, Well, where is God in my situation? Where is God in my condition? Where is God in this and that and the other? Where is God in my family? Where is God when I'm praying? Where is God? Where is He? And you can't sense Him. You can't feel Him. You're not experiencing Him. Where is He? God knows your location, brother, sister. And God knows your condition. Where is He? Where is He not? He has brought you here this morning. He's brought you here this morning that you might hear this. Where is He? He's here this morning. That's why you're here to listen. That's why you're here to hear it. And if we take this and we don't run with these things and believe what God tells us in these things, if we don't bring them to our heart, be it not only a hearer and a doer of the word, then I may as well preach to this. It's up to you when I deliver to eat the bread. Brothers and sisters, it's up to you when I break the bread and deliver it to you to eat that bread. And those who do not eat it will grow hungry. And those who don't, like Elijah, if he didn't eat, rest, drink, and sleep, if he didn't do that, he would have died. Forgive me for quoting an old Puritan. Here's another one. Listen to what he said. I haven't written this one down. I was talking about God. Where is he? God, you know, the, the great... God Almighty, our Father in Heaven. Where, where is He? You know, trying to explain Him, revealed in the Scriptures as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and through many manifestations, revealed through His Word to us, in His Son, through His Spirit. Now, one old Puritan was once asked these things, and this is what he said. He says, "God's circumference is nowhere." God's circumference is nowhere, and his center is everywhere. And his center is everywhere. The same God who came and helped Elijah, the same God who sent the angel to Elijah, the same God who knew his location and his condition, the same God who knew his fear and his flight from his foe, 
brought him the food by the angel's hand. That same God is the exact same God who's here this morning. He's here in the Spirit this morning. He's here as the Holy Spirit in our lives, among us at the preaching of His Word. He's with us. He's in us. His center is no different than the one who spoke the worlds into being, framed them by the word of his power. That exact same, one and the self-same God is the same one and the self-same God who's here this morning. The same center because he is the same. God has not got any extremities. If we have a weight in this hand and I have a weight in the other hand and I'm holding it like this for a period of time. After a while, my hands will get tired at the end because of the weight and I can't lift them up at my extremities. God has no extremities, brothers and sisters. There's no weaknesses in Him. And the only time there was any form or type of weakness was when He became flesh in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that weakness was that he was crucified to the cross and shed his own precious blood. He was God of very God and man of very man. And he went all the way to Calvary to redeem you and to redeem me to show us his great love for us. Brothers and sisters, the God whom the angels worship in the glory is here this morning. He's in our midst this morning. And he is in your heart this morning. Now Elijah, he eats of the food, he drinks from the cruise, and he sleeps. Something else I want to show you. God sent an angel to meet Elijah's physical needs. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, listen to what it says. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? Can I ask you this morning, are you an heir of salvation? In other words, are you saved, blood-washed, born again, spirit-filled? The heirs of salvation are those who are trusting in Christ for their salvation alone. And so he has ministering angels for each and every one of us. They are spirits sent forth. In other words, he has them detailed for you on your behalf. The angels are servants of heaven. Now take note. The angels are servants of heaven. Created by God, and they are commanded to worship Him. Yet He loves us, the redeemed, the saints of God, you and I. Yet He loves us so much, He sends them forth for them to minister unto us. Even though He created them for Himself, but their service is to worship God. These angels were created to worship God, to serve God. And yet, you and I, as the blood-washed, redeemed saints, children of God, He dispatches angels because He loves you. Imagine that. He does away with, as it were, the angels in His presence to minister to you rather than the angels He created to minister to us. Surely that is care, devotion, and love. But can I tell you something greater? He gave his son. And nothing matches that. Lord, do you love me? Brother, sister, I fear when we say these things to the Lord, to our Father, I fear that we insult him. After all he has done. These three verses, or these verses, have three things to take note. God's, the providence of God, the peace of God, 
and the preservation of God. The providence of God, the peace of God, and the preservation of God. Look at verse 5. He says, Arise and eat. Verse 6. A cake and a cruise of water was there. Notice, a cake and a cruise. God's providence in a wilderness, in his loneliness, God's providence met Elijah. God had provided for him as he did for Israel in the wilderness. Notice we have the providence as peace. It says in verse 6, and he laid him down again. He rested in peace in God. He rested in peace. And verse 7 is the preservation of God. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. The preservation of God. He came the second time and did it again. God preserving the prophet. God preserving his own. Brothers and sisters, do you not know that you and I of frail mortal flesh, that you and I of our emotions and our frailties, do you not realize that you and I are kept through the preservation of God? If God were to withdraw himself from you and I, we would be lost in a heartbeat. We would be lost in a heartbeat if the Spirit of God was taken from our breast this moment and we were allowed to live, we would be not only lost in a heartbeat, I can guarantee you we'd all be in the world in a heartbeat. We'd be loving the world and doing the things in the world. You see, it's the preservation and the persevering God within us who keeps us going to the end. He preserves His saints. The ends of the Lord came a second time. And touched him. Thank God for his touch. Thank God for his touch. You know the Lord Jesus is our bread of life. He's like the manna in the wilderness. Remember Israel woke up and the manna was there in the morning. The manna means what is it? That's what they said about Jesus. What is this? Who is this? Who is this man? This character here who comes uh, telling us and preaching of the kingdom of God. Who is this? What is it? The Lord Jesus said that he is the bread of life. John 6 and 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Let me tell you what Israel at in the wilderness. Let me tell you what Elijah is eating in our reading. Psalm 78 and verse 25 simply says, Man did eat angels' food. Man did eat angels' food. My brothers and sisters, moving quickly and briefly on, for time is flying. You have food this morning. There's your food. You know, sometimes you go to a restaurant. I have never done this, by the way. You take a wee doggy bag. As if it's for your wee doggy. You get home and you eat it the next day. There's your food. You can take this home with you. For every day. For every day. Where's your food? Take it home with you today. Take it home with you for every day. I was speaking to someone. I had them with us on Friday evening at the, for a while. And they told me that they get up in the morning if they've had a pizza the night before. And they get the pizza cold out of the box and eat it with solid cream. I know. I know. I said, you must be joking. No, they weren't. They can keep that food for the morning. That's not for me. But this is my daily bread here. 
Listen, Elijah's frailty. In Psalm 103 and verse 14, the psalmist tells us, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. You don't need to put your hand up. You don't need to answer me. But I wonder if many of us have sat in God's presence and thought, you maybe even not even hear my prayer today. I've been uncaring about him, unfaithful to him. I haven't been in the place I should have been. I haven't been doing what I should have done. And I've been really not up the way I should be. You feel you could always have done better and been better. I think if we were all honest, all of us could say that. I can put my two up. Brother, sister, sometimes it can keep you away from the presence of God. Sometimes it can keep you away from the place of prayer. Can I say this to you this morning? Don't let it. John tells us if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Thank the Lord for that. If your heart's condemning you and you're in Christ, God is greater than your heart. Get into his presence and bring it before him and move on, brothers and sisters. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 16, it says of the Lord Jesus, For verily, he took not upon him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. In other words, he was a man. Jesus was a man, a human being. He understands that. He understands us. He knows our frame that we're dust. Hebrews 4 and 15 tells us, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. First Timothy 3 and 16, Paul says, God was manifest in the flesh. John, in his first chapter of his epistle, tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he knows us. And here's what I've written. And I've said this many a times before. As God... The Lord Jesus I'm speaking about as God. He knows me. As man, he understands me. As God, he knows me. And as man, he understands me. Elijah's fame, Elijah's foe, Elijah's fear, Elijah's flight, Elijah's fainting, Elijah's food, Elijah's frailty. What was his frailty? The angel noticed the frailty and so recognized that he's but dust. God sent him because he recognized the the pain of mankind. The frailties of our body. Notice at the end of verse 7. The angel said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. The journey's too great. Why? Where are you going now, Elijah? Do you ever think of that? He's already traveled from the northern kingdom. Chapter 17, 1 Kings 17, he's way up in the northern kingdom at uh, Samaria, the capital city, and he's prophesying to uh, Ahab and Jezebel are there. Then he has the whole uh, building of the altar and the coming down of the fire out of glory and consuming the altar and the slaying of the prophets. Then he's running away from Jezebel and he goes right across the border into Judah, leaves those people who are with him and goes another day's journey away. Where else can he go? The journey's too great for you, Elijah. Well, where else can I go? And sometimes, brothers and sisters, you and I wonder, well, Lord, where else is there to go from here? I've been in a field. I've been in a round. I've said and I've done and look at the state of me. I've served. I've, 
I've labored, I've worked, I've, I've been in ministry, I've done it for this, that, and the other church or whatever denomination or whatever it may be. And I've served you, Lord, but everything's come down around me. Everything has turned out the way I thought it. Uh, it didn't turn out the way I thought it should have turned out. Where is there else to go? And the Lord says, you eat and you drink. The journey's too good for you. Lord, I have nowhere else to go. What do I do? The Lord says, you trust me. I'm sending you further on. Brothers and sisters, while there's breath in your body, while your heart is still beating, God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. God brings you out sometimes to bring you in. God shuts one door and he always opens another. And you may say, well, where am I here? The door is shut and there's no open door. Well, listen, just wait in the hall until it's open. The journey is too great for you. You see, God knows who you are. God knows what you need. And he knows your capabilities and your inabilities that you need for the journey ahead. And God says, you eat, you're going further on, trust in me. And Elijah does exactly what he is told to do. And he goes further on. Where does he go to? Let's read. Verse 8. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat or that food. Forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Ha. Know where Horeb is? Horeb. If you have the northern kingdom, he comes right down over the border into Judah, right down south, comes right into Arabia, the whole way down to the southern tip. Horeb is Mount Sinai. You know what happened to Mount Sinai? Took them 40 days and 40 nights to get there. Do you know what happened in Mount Sinai? At the foot of the mountain, God God showed Moses the burning bush and spoke out of it. Mount Sinai, the foot of it. You know what happened at the top of it? God sent Moses from the burning bush into Egypt to bring Israel out. And when he brought Israel out under the blood of the Lamb, and you know what happened next? When they got to Mount Sinai, God says, you're going to go there and come back and worship me in this mountain. I'll bring you back, he says. Moses goes up Mount Sinai and God meets him there. And God gives them the law for Israel. You see, brothers and sisters, there's a journey ahead of all of us while we breathe, while we live. There's a journey ahead for you and a journey ahead for me. And there's a plan and a purpose in God's work and kingdom for you. And it's whether you will eat the bread that you may carry it out. Whether you're willing to take it in and live by it. I I could talk to I'm blue in the face. I could stand up in this pulpit dive down onto my head, spin around and spit nickels at you. And you'll still maybe not listen. Or you'll say, yes, I'm going to do that. And by the time you get out and the rain falls on your head outside the door, get into your car, you forgot all about it. This is the food that will get you through. Forty days and forty nights. I haven't time to look at the number 40. I'll do a study on it. I've quite a bit written down about it. Here's what I want you to see. Elijah's fortitude. Elijah's fortitude. He went on the strength of that for 40 days, for 40 nights. Here's what I've written. Okay. I took a quote from Merriam-Webster's dictionary on the word fortitude. It means strength of mind that enables a person to encounter danger or bear pain in adversity with courage. Even though you go through it and it's hard, you have this fortitude of courage. When you've eaten of the bread of life and drinking, drunk of the spirit, the water, the cruise, and you've rested your all in Christ, and his hand has been upon you, brothers and sisters, you can do it. I can do, what is it? Through which strengtheneth me.
Here's what I continue to write. I quote 1 Kings 19 and 8. And he went on the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. I wrote this. Biblical fortitude slash courage. What is the difference? Biblical fortitude and courage. What is the difference? Courage is when we overcome our fears. And we are willing to follow on in faith. That's courage. When we overcome our fears and we are willing to follow on in faith. I pray that many Christians who would maybe see this, maybe you'll share it and show it to people that they will stop being afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid. Some of them are afraid to come out. If you were somewhere and you went past someone and you cleared your throat, they're near ready to cut your head off. They're afraid. If you had a sniffle, they're afraid. They're afraid if you go into a shop and ask for something and you haven't covered your face. People are running away like you're the leper in the scriptures. They're afraid. They're afraid of everything. If you haven't been fully inoculated two times over and ready for your next one, they're afraid of you. And the government are saying to you, be afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid, brothers and sisters. I'm not denying, but I'm not afraid. My times are in his hands. My times are in his hands. Here's what I want to continue on with as we close. Courage is when we overcome fears and we are willing to follow on in faith. It's when one is willing to stand up for what is right. In the sight of God. Not because they think it, but in the sight of God. What does it say about abortion in the scriptures? When CBR and I are there on Tuesdays and wherever else you are, Trevor, during the week, and Oma yesterday, I think it was, and Enniskillen, and uh, yesterday in Oma, was it? Enniskillen yesterday. What does it say about the scriptures when Christians are afraid of somebody shouting out the car window at them? Expletives because they're standing trying to protect the unborn from the slaughter in the hospital there just up the road from us here. What does, it's not what I think of it. My feelings and my thoughts don't come into it. I don't really matter. It's what this says. It's what the Word of God tells us. What does it say about all the things that's coming upon us? What is right in the sight of God? Is it right in the sight of God that you stay away from the Lord's table? You aren't, you're here, but others. Is it right that you're never here? Is it right that you feel you're a a, a one-man band and you can go and do what you want? It says, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. That's the scripture. And people are decimated. Christians are hiding. They're in fear. What does the scripture say? Notice, brothers and sisters, it's when one is willing to stand up for what is right in the sight of God, when one will follow the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it means rejection, verbal abuse, or even physical harm or death. That's biblical fortitude. Ask the early church when Nero had them put around his palace and dip oil and tied to a post and set on fire. Ask them when their bodies were being burned to light up his Colosseums. Ask them when the fires of Smithfield were burning, when the Roman church burnt the martyrs. Ask them, ask those who are coming through the years where they're giving their lives for Christ's sake. Ask them for those who have given their lives and went to foreign fields with the danger that they may never come back. And brothers and sisters, we're sitting in our pajamas in the morning. We're sitting eating our toast and drinking our tea because we feel it's more comfortable and we like it. Church, where are we? I'm sick and tired of weakness, wateriness, and people wandering away and saying, it's everybody else's fault. It's your fault, brother, and your fault, sister. Get into the Word. 
brothers and sisters, church, it's time to stop being big Jenny Ons and grow up. It's time to stand on our feet. We are warriors, soldiers of Christ. I'm sick and tired of the PC brigade. I'm sick and tired of the liberal leftists. I'm sick and tired of the commie Marxists throughout our nation and in our government. I'm sick and tired of their control. I'm sick and tired of it. Do we have to say, thus far, no further. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When Christ saved me from the world, when Christ saved me from the nightclubs, when Christ saved me from drug addiction, when Christ saved me from alcoholism, being a drunkard, when Christ saved me from the life of violence and all the things that I knew, when he saved me, he changed me, he put something in me, and I can never be the same. And I trust you are too, every one of you. Brothers and sisters, it's time the church stood upon her feet and said no. I'm washed in the blood today. Today, are you washed in the blood? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing part? Are you washed in the blood? Just going to round this up for you. Praise the Lord. Aren't you better being here than in the best bed in Craig Alvin Hospital? Aren't you? It's not hard to beat, sure it's not. Praise the Lord. Listen. Courage is the quality of character. 
It's not what we are when we're here. It's what we are when we're at home. It's what we are when we face the doctor, the hospital. Courage is the quality of character. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather knowing the fear and doing it anyway. Knowing the fear and overcoming it in Christ. Fortitude is having a mental and emotional strength that enables courage in the face of danger or adversity. So you're, you have biblical fortitude. Elijah started getting the biblical fortitude, eating and drinking and resting in God. And they get up. Listen, what a cake. 40 days and 40 nights. 40 is the number of trial and testing. What a cake. That's definitely manna from heaven. That is the angel's food. Fortitude is having the mental and emotional strength that enables courage in the face of danger and adversity. Your biblical fortitude will give you the courage. Biblical fortitude will give you that quality of character outside of these four walls because you've been with Christ because you've spent time with him now Elijah's fortitude didn't return right away he had to eat, drink and sleep twice so praise God It says in verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came a second time. Touched him. Thank God for his touch. Thank God for his second chance. His third chance. His fourth chance. And his many chances. At times he comes and touches us. Thank you for your touch, Father. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh. Yeah. 